Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us on Friday mornings here for the weekly update at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Appreciate that. I don't know how many people listening around the country and around the world realize what happened here in this area over the last few days. Uh, our communities and many other communities were affected by uh, this storm. I, I guess uh, I guess one of the things you and a Jewish leadership position always take great pride in is the way our community responded. It's pretty incredible to watch just how people are helping those who are now homeless and families that are going through very difficult situations. Very difficult situations after something that's almost incomprehensible to most people that we would have had the equivalent of 35 inches of snow in a half an hour. Wow. And um, there are still people recovering. We hear constantly of more and more uh, problems, and the Chesed organizations are all working overtime. People should help them, especially as we're coming now to the Um Tovim, the people who... Uh, whose houses are maybe not habitable or will need assistance at least over the short period. So we should all realize how much this, how many people were impacted that don't make headlines. And the episodes where people uh, jumped into action to literally save people who were uh, almost going to be drowning, uh, literally, uh, because of the situations they were in, in buildings and cars, etc. I mean, the rescues were just so unbelievable and amazing. And, of course, as we get closer to the beginning of the brand new year and the day of judgment we think about uh, how precarious our lives are and with all the craziness going on malcolm and everything we discuss on a weekly basis we have to be thankful to the one above if we simply wake up in the morning and we're safe and sound that's why we say modani and the people who dismiss it really should rethink it that there were people who got up that morning maybe some of them didn't heed the warnings or didn't know of the warnings and uh, we take uh, too much for granted. I don't even know, you know, people are, are inclined, I guess rightfully so, uh, to blame public officials. But, I mean, this was, you know, there, come, there comes a point where things are so out of hand weather-wise where I don't know if you could blame anybody, frankly, but I don't know, maybe they think should have been more, um, uh, 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 maybe people should have had further no- better notice in advance or things should have been prepared differently. But this, I think, was just such a... An exception. I can't imagine that uh, anyone really uh, could be held accountable for it. But I guess the feeling is that someone's got to be held accountable for it. So there's no avoiding that. Yeah, we've seen that uh, this past year and two years almost about COVID and about who was prepared, who wasn't, what reports were were accurate, not accurate. That's but right. we're dealing with human beings, and there are, there are a lot of frailties, but there also should be accountability. Yeah, I hear that. Speaking of safe and sound and accountability, how did the uh, community leaders' meetings with the NYPD and other police personnel go this week? After all, Monday is Erev Rosh Hashanah, and many people are concerned about uh, our synagogues and institutions. What can you tell us? Well, NYPD has always been at the forefront uh, I think nationally, uh, as well in pre- preparedness, focusing on the Jewish community's needs, uh, assigning extra cars during the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur Sukkot, and being sensitive to incidents that occur. Sometimes we've had um, cases where police were seen as not being responsive or concerned about not being responsive, but the brass is always been that way. The new commander for the Brooklyn South 
is himself Jewish, but very sensitive, knowledgeable about the community. It's remarkable how much they know and how many events they came to for both in, in the aftermath of Haiti and, and in the Jewish community and the uh, raising money for victims of the flood. But more importantly, coming and communicating and talking to them about the special needs and, and interests. It's a community that is Base supports police at a time when so many are trying to undermine that, and that destroys the confidence both of the police and in police, which is very unhealthy for society, and we pay the price, and they're dealing under the circumstances of the revolving door justice, which is not anything in their control when they make an arrest, and before they're back to the station, the perpetrator is already out, and it frustrates them and disincentivizes them. So we remain very supportive, and where there are problems, they have to be addressed, but addressed intelligently. Certainly the the fact that the commissioner all the way down the line ha, um, have been open to the community, visiting the community, hearing from the community, and doing briefings before uh, the holiday, all the holiday periods, and that's in large part res- the responsibility of R- Richie Taylor, Taylor uh, who has done a really great job, and guys like... Uh, like Ira Jablon and, and others who have, you know, worked from inside the department to build those relationships. Um, you, you make such an important point that I think needs to be emphasized, uh, and I don't know how many people outside of this country who are listening understand what's going on here. Uh, the relationship between police and so many communities over the last couple of years have become so frayed. Uh, I'm glad to hear. It sounds like what you're saying is that they understand that our community are among the few supporters, that our that our community are among the few that they can rely on uh, for support and encouragement during these very precarious times for them. Well, look at their relationship overall with Hatsala, with Shomrim, with the other entities in the community, and they uh, work together, they respect them. They look the the recent case with Yosef and how the community responded, which was amazing and, and remarkable, but uh, the cooperation and the praise they got then from the police, who look to work with the community, don't have the resources necessarily all the time to do everything. And um, as I said, I think the more understanding, then when there are problems, they can be more readily addressed. Yeah, no question about it. All right, let's hit the international scene a little bit. You know what's been happening over the last two weeks. The United States has... Uh, um, has uh, behaved in a manner that has uh, caused criticism from other world leaders and uh, from many around the world, and of course many in the United States as well. I'm referring to the uh, uh, the pullout from Afghanistan, which is now apparently complete at this point. Um, do you think that the United States is in fact suffering a bad reputation from this episode, and can they rebound from it? Um, I mean, the pullout is over. There are a lot of people who don't feel it was complete, but the the United States is no longer operating in in the country and in the airports. Um, It's very hard not to argue that there was reputational damage, an undermining of confidence, a reevaluation on the part of many of our allies in countries in the region and beyond uh, in light of what they saw. Uh, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't it depend on whether the decision was right or wrong. Presidents wanted to get out of Afghanistan for a long time. I think it's more about how it was done and what the follow-up will be. Will we will talk about aiding the Taliban, who are a terrorist organization? What will they do 
regarding the uh, with, with their relationship with Iran, what they will they do regarding Russia. Malcolm, Malcolm, I got to ask you to, I don't know, maybe, maybe switch where you're standing with your phone because we're just breaking up every second. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Is this go. better? Much better. All I did was turn. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I've become an antenna that, um, <laughs> that there are broad ramifications, both geopolitically. Afghanistan is strategically an important country, even if in itself is not a vital statement in most people's estimations. But the opportunity now for mischief, the opportunity to what they will do to uh, dispose of, sell, sell or otherwise um, uh, use the weapons that they have inherited, billions of dollars in weapons, which could end up in the hands of Hamas, Hezbollah, who praised them and who they identify with, um, certainly Iran uh, and the, the ramifications could be many when we, you know, that there are supposedly a trillion dollars in resources inside um, Afghanistan, mineral resources and others that can be exploited. And we know that China exploits any kind of mineral resources, particularly energy, but others will as well. So the question is what the next steps will be. How will we uh, assure that we can contain um, the the Taliban and right now they're still fighting, by the way, inside the country against uh, opposition forces, which include ISIS and uh, other groups, uh, and they haven't pacified the whole country yet. They will, ultimately, I think, but there is serious fighting going on. And yesterday, supposedly, there were quite a number of Taliban killed in uh, some of those uh, clashes. So it's, a, it's, it's, every, it's an unstable region with this added element of instability and the reputational damage is very important. When we see, you know, countries like Saudi Arabia reaching out to to, to Russia, when there are joint exercises, supposedly Russia, China, and Iran doing a joint military exercises, but others as well. And you see China, Egypt buying airplanes from Russia. It tells you that there that these there are ships that they're looking in multiple directions. That they need to be reassured. And um, there's always levels of uncertainty because we can't meet everybody's requests and everybody's needs. But the United States and Israel had joint exercises this week, naval exercises. There is still strong commitment. We still have a, a presence. And we have to now show that we will stand by our friends and uh, sometimes maybe look aside from some of the difficulties that we have in our relationships and act to reaffirm them now. The uh, Just back to the pullout for a second, it, it, it was just so haphazard. It, it looked like there was no plan. It looked like there had, nobody had prepared properly uh, to, to actually leave in an organized fashion, just the way that the equipment was left there, the way that the dogs were left there, the way that it, it just seemed like you know, they literally decided you know, one morning to get out, and they were told to get out as soon as possible. Why, after all these months, couldn't there have been a more organized effort, a real strategic plan to at least conduct this the right way? I don't know if it would have changed the possibility of the Taliban taking over the entire country, but at least the U.S. would have left with the out with with their own allies and citizens who deserve to leave all valid questions i don't know i'm inside the planning process and um you know this is a process that trump initiated as well and others had talked about wanting to get out um how we could have left behind some of the equipment that we did these light attack aircraft and things is is all 
are all questions I'm sure that will be subjects of congressional hearings in the, in the coming future and certainly of public criticism because it will be very visible. You know, there were parades uh, in uh, Kandahar and other places of the military equipment, which is um, sort of, you know, rubbing it in, in America's face and, and of concern to those in the region. Iran, of course, applauds it, but they have to be concerned also. This is across their border. These are Sunni radicals. They're Shiites. And they were in, employing these people from Afghanistan in Syria. They were the people fighting. It's Pakistanis, Afghanis, others. They don't send Iranian soldiers to fight. So now the question is how that all will, will continue. Uh, Iran has reached out to them, and Iran is, is pledging support to them and, and to help. But I, I have to think that there is a, another side that is looking at this askance. Well, I wonder, you know, I mean, Iran is a neighbor of Afghanistan. I wonder if they'd rather have the Taliban in charge there or would rather have U.S. armed forces in charge. Because I always looked at Afghanistan as a, a, a natural place for the U.S. to launch attacks against Iran if necessary. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that the... Uh, uh, the the U.S. foreign policy experts, you know, felt the same way. This was the the real only presence that the U.S. has in the entire region, right? Well, we do have presence in uh, in the Gulf. We have presence in other areas, but we had a military presence, right. uh, and and it was oh, it wasn't that big most of the time. And it's like the military presence in Iraq or Syria, where you have a thousand, two thousand soldiers, but those that small amount. We only had a couple thousand there now. That, but that was the tip, the balance in terms of the of the situation. People don't want to take on the U.S., and as long as we had the, that presence there, we could um, at least monitor the situation. And also, it has to be an opportunity for collecting intelligence on Iran. Now, of course, we have satellites. We have many other ways to do it and collect information. But certainly, being on the border and having people who cross back and forth. Uh, was very important. So Iran would rather have it this way or the old way? They'd rather have the U.S. there or they'd rather have the Taliban take over? One of the things Iran wants is stability on its borders because it, it invites instability in its borders. And remember, Iran has a lot of neighbors, and they, it's why they're so sensitive to what happens in Azerbaijan and other countries, because you've got 30 million Azeris. You have Afghanis living in uh, Iran and Iranians living there. They, I think that their their interest is in order to continue their mischief and to do what they want. They don't want to have to worry about the situations on their borders, and people crossing in, et cetera, and out. So, I think that uh, they probably prefer knowing having the Americans there, even if they're collecting intelligence, right. uh, than having an unstable situation. The U.S. Uh, military equipment ends up being what? Used, stolen, destroyed, sold? What's going to end up? Probably all of the above. That's a pretty good list. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can, if you anybody's interested in buying a slightly used tank or Humvee or something, uh, there were parades of them, literally right. parades of them. See the equipment? if you look at the statistics of what they claim we left behind, and nobody's disputed it because it comes from American official sources, it's it's astounding. And the danger is, does, does this stuff end up in the hands of Hamas, Hezbollah, other terrorist groups uh, in Yemen? And, uh, uh, you know, 600,000 rifles and guns and, and uh, night vision goggles, which are very significant. It's, these are all capabilities that they didn't have before. Does it end up in Russian hands for cash? 
it ends up both um, China, Russia, others will want to reverse engineer anything that they haven't seen or captured before, and uh, then they replicate it. Certainly, the Chinese have proven very adept at that in other spheres. And uh, do they they certainly want to have material. The problem is now, if there's a clash in the future, you're going to have guys wearing the same uniforms, the same everything as the people, as the Americans that they are fighting, because they have all, all of these, um, you know, mil- the, the soldiers' uh, clothing, and etc. So that's a kind of side thing that nobody would even think about, but that a military analyst uh, mentioned to me. So... It's, yeah, it's think, a very big problem that this stuff can, can proliferate through the region, and I'm sure there are a lot of guys who, who will take it and try to sell it to whoever they can. And I guess it's just too much to either destroy or alter, I guess. But I think it's one way to protect our shoes. We should buy as much of the <laughs> as many of the tanks as possible and just park them outside. We'll put an end to the, well, the assaults. I, you're alluding to the fact that you may have a connection to the Taliban. I mean, could you arrange this deal or not? Uh, I have no connection to to the Taliban. Okay. <laughs> the way you were tossing I that out. I disavow anything of that kind. I would guess so. Malcolm Holmline with us, of course. Uh, so the Prime Minister of Israel comes to Washington. Oh, before I leave Afghanistan for now, let me do this before we get to Washington. Uh, so I didn't realize until I read it this morning, uh, I thought Ghani, the president of Afghanistan's location, was unknown. Apparently he's in the UAE. Yeah, no, that was known. He does went that, right away to the UAE. Yeah, well, it was unknown to and, me. But, <laughs> but th- does that ruin the UAE's reputation at all? Like, is, is No, 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 no. He, he, they gave him a refuge. That's all. That's a humanitarian thing. Um, but you know that there were reports, and they allegedly show pictures. But again, we don't know, and people shouldn't judge that everything is true. We saw supposed parades also of American military equipment being trucked into Iran that somebody, people in Iran were putting out. But there's no, we don't know that that's really true. That could be purely a propaganda thing to try and embarrass the U.S. or whatever, uh, even though it's certainly plausible. When he left, there were reports that they found huge amounts of money in the presidential palace and uh, grounds. You know, we have we, we spent a billion dollars on the American compound, and uh, what we left behind there, we don't know. You know, they, they did destroy documents, I know, for days before the, um, the exit. So hopefully the, we weren't we didn't compromise anything uh, further there. But he it was known when he left right away, and he was given safe haven there. So I don't think it, it in any way is a negative impact for UAE. And will he be held accountable for anything? No. Or, I mean, there's no reason to, right? I mean, he's again, like you just said, he's basically uh, seeking political asylum, and he's gotten it. That's the end of it. And uh, even but when, but when he left. It did demoralize the troops. It did have a lot of people say, oh, the thing is over, yeah. and they did not resist more. I would imagine that the U.S. armed forces were also you know, pretty upset that he took that course of action. Um, I'm sure he, they were. He, he abandoned everybody, essentially. I mean, maybe he had no choice to save his own life, but he abandoned... I mean, I would assume that if he was in the palace when the Taliban got in there, he wouldn't have survived the visit. I get that. But, uh, you know, you always wonder. You know, captain goes down with the ship... You know, <laughs> there's a certain way. There's a certain code of ethics among heroes. This was not a heroic act. This was a pretty cowardice act. Yeah, I don't think anybody ever described him as a heroic figure, mm-hmm. um, even before this. And it's a thankless job being the president of, uh, of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But, but um, they sometimes have had colorful people in that position. Anybody I would have remembered? 
Is there a name that was pretty well known? Karzai. Yeah, I think I remember that one, yeah. Remember he came in the, the nice robes and yeah, everything. Yeah, I remember that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachoMusical.com and the NachoMusical Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Our final weekly update of 5781. Imagine that, everybody. Naftali Bennett, the prime minister, comes to Washington. Uh, there were those in Israel who were who, who would have preferred if he wouldn't have visited Washington now. Uh, then this whole thing happened with Afghanistan, and some seem to indicate that this episode might give him a little leverage because now he can you know, show the president. I don't know what happened in these private meetings. Maybe you've heard something about those meetings. Uh, but now he could show the president you know, what happens uh, when, when U.S. forces or his forces or any responsible forces leave an area or let go of you know, power in a certain area. Uh, in the end, was it beneficial that Naftali Bennett came to meet Joe Biden? I think we have to say yes, that, uh, that he handled it well. There were no gaps, there were no um, clashes and whatever, and the agreement that they would deal with things quietly is something that I think is important. Um, and when there are disagreements, they'll deal with it. But I think the, the, you know, the Prime Minister of Israel and the President of the United States need to have a personal relationship in at least the sense that they can talk to one another because there are things that come up all the time, and it's really critical. You saw with Netanyahu's relationship with Trump, how important that was in previous cases as well uh, over the years of Israel's existence, which two years will be 75 years, and the, um, the, uh, the visit um, enabled them to, to show the world that Israel is in a special place, being amongst the first, uh, if not the first foreign leader to be received the president of Ukraine, also came this week right. and met with him. The, the, uh, so it was a message from both sides, and both sides wanted to send this message of, of, of the, the U.S.-Israel relationship is alive and well. I think both wanted to show that they're not BB, that this is a new era. Um, they, they both recognize the frailties that each of them has, I mean, in terms of the public standing, and uh, Bennett has six seats in the Knesset. Uh, and although they passed the budget this week, which was a huge achievement, not fully, it's the first of three votes, but it vote passed by a big margin uh, has to be recognized as an achievement. Most people didn't think the government would last until the next morning, the next right. month. We still don't know how long it will, but this is very reinforcing, and the public image is very important in the region that the 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 um, Jerusalem-Washington corridor is still open and still significant, and that those who want good ties should have good ties with, with Israel as uh, and the, Israel can facilitate a lot of stuff. This, this is not a knock on Bibi because uh, generally he represented us, and because, of course, when you're a prime minister of Israel, you're the number one representative of the Jewish people as well, we always think, and I think that's true. Uh, but to his credit, Naftali Bennett, I mean, uh, sitting there with a the yarmulke, which, of course, he wears all the time, and the uh, uh, the fact that he was uh, quoting that week's Haftorah and the way he presented himself, I, I thought uh, it gave Jewish people around the world great pride, and he represented us really well. It was heartwarming to see, uh, you know, pictures of uh, of, uh, of Friday night service that were taken that he was involved with. All the all these things, I think, are you know are, are small Menachem Begin type steps that are very important to Jews around the world. Well, to show pride as a Jew, but Netanyahu certainly represented that yeah, as well 100%. in his way. And uh, uh, Times put on a yarmulke to, to sure. say things. Uh, we saw at the Abraham Accord signings the the fact that um, 
prime ministers periodically, uh, you know, demonstrate and, and, and see themselves as Bennett does and as Netanyahu did as the prime minister, not just of the state of Israel, but its responsibility to, to world Jewry. Uh, Isaac Herzog said it about his presidency in, in Israel. It's also for dealing and representing world Jewry, and that sure. is true. 100%. And it, it, and I, but, I, but I think that the... Um, uh, you know that it was carried off with dignity. People were looking for gaffes. People were looking for all sorts of stories that somebody sleep, that somebody not sleep, whatever. The fact is that during a week when they would have had many excuses not to have the meeting, the meeting took place. It came off well. They they, they have it exposed differences between them, but also compositions. The they did not press uh, the consulate issue right now. They raised it. They raised about this expansion of settlements, but these did not become Denman issues, which ended up in clashes or intense um, things. Bennett, uh, Bennett's statement that, that uh, uh, you know, against Palestinian state, the fact that uh, Lapid changed his position about the consulate in Jerusalem and came out against it, um, reflect the fact that they are trying to make it work, the government work, and to make the U.S.-Israel relationship work. Yeah. Um, it, I read somewhere, maybe in a New York Times article, that there's an issue, there's a friction now between Israel and the United States, and therefore Bennett and Biden, about the covert operations that Israel has conducted against Iran. Now, I, I, I don't ever remember any public condemnation of Israel when it was suspected that they carried out one of these missions. Is there Are there problems behind closed doors? There are differences of view about it, and and the um, the issue, you know, obviously is raised because Israel would like to see the United States do more. And we want to know whether they're willing to carry out uh, some of the covert activities, intelligence operations, etc., or support Israel if it feels the need. I think that the one of the conclusions may have been that Israel will do what it deems necessary. That the United States is not going to initiate. But more importantly, will they be there to support and to the replenishment, for instance, of the Iron Dome, a billion dollars worth of equipment to replace the rockets and uh, the that are defensive against the thousands of rockets that Gaza fired, and we're likely to see an escalation there. We've seen some already. People should not think that this is over. They have there's every reason to believe that they're going to continue to escalate the demonstrations both on the border, the balloons, but more importantly, firing of rockets, and um, let alone, of course, what Hezbollah has. So getting that as a public declaration and a commitment is an important message to the region, and obviously very important for Israel. Uh, Iran does remain, there there are differences still, but I think the the Iranians are writing the script and saying that now that they won't come back till November, December, maybe even 2022, uh, that their demands are going to change. The Raisi's government, which in, includes two of the people charged with the deaths of the people in the Amiya in, in Argentina, uh, if you remember, which took the lives of 85 people. Uh, uh, two of them are, are now members, cabinet members of the uh, government. This is a, a very radical uh, regime. Not that uh, there's a much of a difference from the previous regimes, but it's more open. It's more like Ahmadinejad then Rouhani, the uh, foreign ministers of Iran is already in Syria now and pledging all sorts of joint efforts at a time when Iran has doubled its presence in Syria near the Israeli border over the last few years, according to recent studies. And the the um, 
uh, role that Iran plays is very large in, inside uh, uh, Syria. So for you know, we can go country by country and talk about what is happening and, and the implications of so a, a strong demonstration of strength between the United States and Israel, like the maritime exercises that took place this week. Each of those things sends a message to the region that is very important. Yeah, I get that. Um the um the conversation at the white house uh, last friday uh when it focused on iran the president went out of his way to talk about diplomatic channels before any other type of activity but then i'm reading all these analysis articles all these opinion pieces from israel that say that iran is about to pass a very important threshold a very important hurdle on its way to nuclear weapons so is the is the diplomacy route too late at this point or am i just you know, or, 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 or are some people under the impression that they're very close and in reality might be much further away? I, I can say that people who are very knowledgeable and involved don't give it more than a, a chance of one in four that the, the, it will lead to an understanding. The problem is that they're talking now of switching to a step-by-step approach, which means minimal things. So Iran will do very little, but will get some sanctions relief. And we know that that is incremental, and it, it, uh, I think it's a very detrimental uh, approach because Iran will just take advantage of it. And they're not going to improve the circumstances. They're not going to dismantle anything. They haven't. We know that they lied all along. They are enriching way beyond the level they're supposed to. They're stockpiling much more than they're supposed to. We know that there are facilities that are not being inspected. So Iran has moved ahead. They take advantage of, of the West. And even France and Germany you know, are pressing them to go back to the table, but are expressing concern. And the fear is that it's too late. Iran... Uh, because the price of oil has gone up and they're selling oil to, uh, as they just sent ships to Lebanon, we have to see what will happen with that. It's a very delicate and uh, serious situation in and of itself, but also they had a ship that went supposedly to Syria this week for transshipment to uh, to Lebanon. Uh, they're selling to the Chinese much more, and the price of oil haven't gone up. That the pressure is a little less on them, even though their economy is still in ruins. Uh, and you know that they found that the delaying in in um, Vienna, what the talks hasn't cost them anything. We don't put additional sanctions in the meantime. We have some, but not related to to that. And we we really have to just be very tough. And especially after the situation in Afghanistan, we have to show them that we're prepared to stand by our word. Unfortunately, we have very few allies to rely on, but one of them is Israel. Do you think behind closed doors the prime minister told the president it's too late for diplomacy? Of course. Israel long has had no faith in it. He came to Congress because of it. I know, but uh, when you hear publicly that this is the route he wants to take, he could have avoided it completely instead of saying that publicly. I mean, he says it publicly. It's not just us who are hearing it. Yeah, you know, the Iranians are hearing it also. Right, and that's a message, and they want to send a message that that to try to preempt or prevent or deter Iranian session. Uh, why, why are those scientists eliminated? Why are, are those work accidents in the places to set it back? It also sends a message that yeah. they know what's going on, they know who they are and where they are, and they pay and they will pay a price. It's hard for them to recruit nuclear scientists because of it, and the um, you know so. The stance that Israel has taken has been very consistent because diplomacy only gives them more opportunity and gives them a chance to expand their aggressive behavior supporting terrorist organizations. They're more limited in the money they can give because their economic condition is not the same, but it doesn't stop them from 
sending huge shipments of, uh, of weapons to others and to continuing their disruptive activities. And, and this includes in South America as well, and they're selling oil to Venezuela uh, and to other countries in South America. Oh, oh boy. Uh, how's the most vaccinated country in the world having so many cases of COVID? Well, they have a very good reporting system. And, uh, you know, with the children going back to school, it was inevitable that the, the case numbers, caseload would, would rise. The, um, and there are significant number of serious cases, but nothing like before. Right. And the death toll has not increased uh, like we saw it uh, six months ago, a year ago. So the um, you know they they thank God they are handling it, but they're being very restrictive. And unfortunately, we all pay a price that we can't go to Israel. But I think nobody wants to see the illness spread or continue to spread. And there talks of more variants of it. Israel, uh, as a small country, has to take whatever preemptive steps. And Netanyahu certainly did it by getting the vaccinations. Um, Bennett and the government continuing that practice. A lot of people with uh, that third vaccine already. A lot of people with third vaccine, and we'll have to find out exactly how much how those statistics are impacted. But with Israel, you have such good record keeping because of uh, the um, uh, insurance associations and stuff, where most almost right. everybody belongs, like Klal, etc. So they have very good statistics, and that's why the drug companies like to deal with Israel because they can get feedback immediately about the effectiveness of the drugs. Malcolm, what if this thing doesn't go away for years? Hasid Shalom, we got to pray that it, it will at least become like the flu and that we will they will get controlled. But when enough people are inoculated, the problems around the world, people are not, it's only a very small percentage that have actually been inoculated so far. Yeah, but it seems and, most people who are vaccinated months later, they have no antibodies anyway. Right, but I'm saying that the it, it, for the virus to spread, according right. to scientists, you got to try and limit the hosts that they, where they can, and eventually it it uh, diminishes itself. Yeah. But the fact is, we have more question marks than we have answers, and everybody, every day, you get a new estimation by scientists about what, what the what is going on. It's it's very troubling for people. I understand it, but people shouldn't be skeptical. They see the new study that masks do make a difference. And so what is it such an imposition that when we're in closed situations that for people to wear a mask? We, we have to do something to prevent this. It's it's uh, We paid a heavy price already. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, it's going to be a nostalgic weekend for me. This coming Monday is the uh, completion of my 38th year behind this microphone. And, Malcolm, as I turn to you for our message for 5782, I'm saying to myself, you know, <laughs> in all these decades, <laughs> I think 40 years ago we were wondering if the world's going to survive everything it's going through. And I think today <laughs> we're wondering if the world is still going to be around <laughs> as we uh, get into the year 5782. What are your feelings as we embark on the brand new year? Well, one thing is I think we, we should be careful not to take it lightly. We saw the FBI report this week that shows that American Jews are the top target for hate crimes, even though they claim the number of hate crimes is diminished. But it's also because hundreds and hundreds of police departments didn't report the statistics. And you have, I think, 60 places with over 100,000 people that reported zero hate crimes, which is which is not possible and not, not uh, realistic. So the... Uh, the, the situation did not get better during Corona. We know that, in fact, inspired more anti-Semitic stuff. We're going to be facing a very 
hot year on the campuses. Remember last year we had bad BDS stuff and things going on, but most campuses were working remotely this year. If they move back on campus, we can expect even bigger challenges. So I don't make light of of, uh, the more alert we are to things, the more we take them seriously, the better we will be in responding. I see many more serious efforts now to address anti-Semitism online in communities, to improve security. There are wealthy people standing up to the plate for the first time in the way that in, in significant numbers to to uh, underwrite um, these efforts, so it's it's very important. But you know, we read this week that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu teaches us um, in the coming weeks, especially as we finish uh, Torah, the all these parshios are really guides for life. But the bottom line is to choose life, and that's what Rosh Hashanah is about. Yom Kippur, we go there, we 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 repent for what we did because we're choosing life. We want the next year to be better for us, for everyone. We pray in the plural because it's not just about us. We know that that even if we can survive, if we don't survive with others, with our the ones we love, with our communities, if they're in danger, then our lives are not secure. And um, I think that that after this year of COVID. I hope people realize how important our lives are, that the things you take for granted, uh, that somebody was mocking the idea of saying Modani, and I told them that after this year, anybody who doesn't appreciate it in the morning when you get up and that you're feeling well and you don't have all the um, challenges that have come to people, countless numbers of people, that we not take it for granted anymore, that we really appreciate it. And when we pray with this Rosh Hashanah, we have this in mind, that we pray for ourselves, we pray for our communities, uh, families and communities, and for Israel and for Jews everywhere who are face, going to face very serious uh, uh, challenges in the year ahead. And there's every reason to be optimistic. There's every reason to believe that this could be a much better year, but it depends on us. If we do our part then that will be the case. But Ishbarho is ready to do it for us. I take this opportunity to wish you and your family a happy, healthy, and sweet new year, and we should have what you just described, uh, peace, health, and prosperity in the brand new year. Amen. And we'll continue for another, what, three decades, four decades? Please, God. I hope I'm only halfway done, believe me. (laughs) You have no no idea. You'll be well done before it's over. (laughs) I appreciate that. <laughs> Trust me, that's an assurance I'm going to take to the bank. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays with a weekly update here at JMDM. Our next weekly update will be uh, in advance of Yom Kippur uh, one week from today on the 10th of September. Uh, and then uh, after Yom Kippur, the day after, we likely will have a weekly update. And then uh, Cholamoid Friday. Yeah, I'm just going through the whole September here. Cholamoid uh, Friday. <laughs> Likely not. But you know what? We'll keep you up to date. You'll know exactly what's going on here at JMNAM.